If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Mutual. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed, and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. <laughs> ah, how highly we prize the golden light of learning. How diligently we work to fuel it, and how gratefully hold up our little hands to warm them in that radiance that is our only protection from the killing cold of human ignorance. <sighs> how dark the night in which our hero finds himself. And things were going so well, too. But, having gone at last to bed, he finds the world beyond waking a strange and terrible place. And... When he does at last escape dreamland, he finds the real world to be, if anything, even less hospitable than the phantasmagorium he has left behind. How cold and dark the lot of one who questions everything he knows. How cold and dark the lot of one who goes charging out into a November rainstorm in the middle of the night. How miserable, how alienated. How utterly lonely it is to find that one has wandered out of the world as one knows it, and does not dare return. This is Day Four, Part One, A Midwinter Night's Mare. It is the fourth day of the return to Watergate. The time and place of writing is around four o'clock in the morning, on a padded bench in the Parata Dynamic Gallery. We begin.
At a casual inspection, the great museum seemed deserted. But when you moved past a mangled heap of wooden cradles, you thought you detected a presence there. A hint of motion beyond a freestanding golden arched doorway wrapped in barbed wire. As you approached the arch, you began to perceive the presence more clearly, until you beheld the monstrosity in all its frightfulness. Those eyes, those wild, cavernous eyes, stared into yours. The madman, for madman he must have been, gawped at you in malevolent silence. Then, after a hideous eternity, the apparition's mouth split into an idiot grin. It scratched at its blood-soiled cheek with a bandaged hand. It smoothed its dripping, straggled hair and straightened its woolly jumper in a grotesque mockery of human dignity. Then, with the muffled wail of a lost soul in torment, it realized that it had dashed out the door in that nice pair of suede John Mintons that Bells gave you only last year. <sighs> With squelching footsteps you approached the thing, and it shambled toward you, letting the satchel strap slip from its sodden shoulder. Then, in an instant, it vanished, and you were looking out at the fog-bound nightscape of Aldergate. You stretched out your undamaged hand, and touched a cold and unyielding surface of polished smart glass. Please don't touch me. The voice spoke from the empty air beside you. You jumped like the high hills, of course, and snatched your hand away. The voice giggled. Thank you. It purred. I'm not as pretty when I get all dirty. Sweet mercy. So, now you've met Parata. She hasn't spoken since, but you know she's still thinking about you. Thinking hard, because you're her only audience right now. You can feel her bending her attention towards you from all sides. This bench seems safe and stable enough, for the moment, but the pop-up wall in front of you has been creeping closer and closer ever since you sat down, like a nervous child trying to show you a picture it drew. Quite a fine picture, too. A stark reimagining of Goya's Capriccio Number no. 6. Even the light has changed. Soft white has warmed to a toasted yellow that complements the painted masqueraders, melting the splotches of their limbs and costumes into a tableau of secretive motion. Hmm. Focus now. You didn't bust into the Parata Dynamic Gallery for a spot of pre-dawn culture. You came here to go quietly to pieces. So, get on with it. <sighs> Remember how good you used to be at sleeping? For a fellow without much practice, at least. 
Ever since you got back to Aldergate, however, the knack has deserted you entirely. First you pull an all-nighter, then you nearly break your neck sleep-jogging. Now, this. It's not a bit like you, self, old boy. You're simply not the nightmare type. <sighs> it was about the murder. Except... Hold on now. This isn't a bloody dream diary. Isn't it, though? Half the point is to keep an eye on the old psychology, so you can hardly just ignore the fact that you've suddenly started having dreams. Very psychological things, dreams. What if it's some new sort of symptom? Anyhow, you've got to write it down, just so it will be somewhere other than inside your head. <sighs> Go on, then. Yes. It was about... It was about the murder. Except, that's the thing of it. It wasn't really about the murder at all. That is to say, it was, but it wasn't. You were trying to solve something. You were searching for clues. But you were searching for them in the manse, upstairs, in the library. You knew what you had to find, and you knew that it was somewhere in Sir Reggie's tomb, buried in some dusty box underneath a decade of stolen treasures. It started off all right. You did quite well at first. You were a clue-hunting machine, a Samson of sleuthing, tossing boxes aside like leaves before an autumn gale, as you cleared a path to the right box. Your box. The one box that would solve everything. But, no matter how many of the wrong ones you flung aside, there were always more. More and more boxes. More than there had been at the start. They were getting heavier, too. Soon you could barely drag them out one at a time. And all the while, the pile of boxes behind you was getting taller and taller and closer and closer, growing far faster than you were building it. And the pile ahead of you didn't seem to change. You were surrounded. And then there was no more room at all. Nowhere to put anything, because everywhere was already full. Still you struggled, panting with exertion. But there was no air left to breathe. You had sealed yourself inside the tomb. You began to smother. And then you couldn't remember which box you were looking for, or what was inside it. Crushed. In darkness, you tried to worm your hands into the boxes that had pinned you, but your fingers were numb and stiff. You hadn't the strength to tear the crispy old packing tape. That went on and on. Ah. Rescue came as a sudden shift of perspective. You realized that you didn't need to find that all-revealing clue 
not right now. No rush, no hurry. Eventually would be good enough. In the proper season. And then, well, when you looked at it that way, things were all right. Back to normal, all the boxes neatly stacked, tier on tier. And the clue was safe. Whatever it was, wherever it was, you had preserved it. You could try another day. It would wait for you. And so you turned away, and left it all behind, and walked outside. Yes, you walked outside. Walked out the door that the library doesn't have, and turned the key in the lock that isn't there, because it wasn't the manse at all. It was Mum's cabin, back on the Sheshov. Safe, and warm, and familiar. And everything was fine. Except now you really couldn't breathe. You choked, because the fire had sucked up all the oxygen. The ship was on fire. No, no, the library was on fire and it had sucked all the air in through the keyhole. And somebody was still in there. As you drowned in darkness, somebody was in there, on the other side of the cabin door, trapped in one of Sir Reggie's boxes. And they'd been there the whole time. The whole time... All this time they'd been in there, and then you realized that you knew who it was. It was... Uh, it was Mum, maybe, and also Alistair, and maybe Sammy, too, now. Twist, Sir Reggie might have been in there as well, all of them suffocating in the flames. And you had the key that could open the door. But you couldn't do it. Couldn't do anything. Because your hands were cold and boneless and had no fingers. And you were sinking deeper and deeper into a black and soundless sea. You tried to kick. You tried to struggle. But you had no strength and the water was thick as blood. And then you weren't really asleep anymore, because you felt the blankets clinging to you, wrapping around you as you choked, and... and hands were grabbing you, pulling you down. And then someone caught you, another hand reaching down from above to grip yours, and you knew that it would pull you back up above the silent waves. And that was worse than anything, because, no, not that hand, not that hand. You knew whose it was now. Better to drown, better to die, better not even to die just to sink forever into darkness. Yes, yes, at that point you worked your left arm free of the tangle and smashed the tumbler on the nightstand. Hmm. 
Isn't pain supposed to be wonderfully clarifying? Doesn't work that way on you. You are more confused than ever. You spilled onto the floor and thrashed about until you finally rolled free of the bedclothes, then wiped the sweat from your forehead and wondered why you were sticky. Pried your eyes open, stared blankly at a dripping palmful of dull red warmth, bowled your way into the bathroom, clutching your wrist, got the light on, stuck your hand under the tap. You watched yourself spiral away down the plug hole, swirl and whirl, down and down and down. And all the while you were still back there, drowning forever at the bottom of some nameless, lightless ocean. <sighs> Eventually you realized that you were, in fact, bleeding yourself to death. You wrapped a washcloth around your poor, damaged left hand, climbed into the bathtub, and sat on the lip to drip. You clamped your wounded paw between your knees and squeezed. You clung grimly to life. Minutes ticked by. <sighs> you fell asleep again, sitting like that. Not completely, or you'd have toppled over and split your silly head open, but enough to dream. The thumping in your ears faded into a tapping, rattling sound, insistent, distant, vague. And then the voice. Yours to start with, but after you'd said it a dozen times, or a hundred times, it wasn't a part of you anymore. Just a dreary, hollow sort of echo. What were you? What are you? What were you? What are you? You might not have realized you were dreaming, if you hadn't got an answer from the plug hole. <laughs> that woke you right up. That, plus the pain of catching yourself on the tub with your elbows. The washcloth was a gory mess, but your leak had slowed to an ooze, so you risked a peek at the wound. The good news is, you'll live. Everything still moves all right. That throb, throb, throb under your fingernails suggests, in your medical opinion, that you didn't sever any nerves that you can't live without. It is a nasty cut, however. A proper gash from the skin between your ring and middle finger almost down to your wrist. Then you spotted that vicious little shard of glass, glinting evilly, and picking it out started you bleeding as enthusiastically as before. So you sat again, and squeezed again, and tried to sort out the jumble that your dreams had left behind. After a while you gave that up, and just sat. Then the creeps came. Like night before last, up in the library. Except it wasn't like that. You've made your peace with the fact that the library is infested with things, crawly things that wait till you're not looking and then bite your face off. You accept that now. It's fine. 
They were here first, enough room for everybody. Now, what came to stand outside the bathroom door was something else. No teeth, no tentacles, no personality. It wasn't there to hurt you or to take you away to some terrible place. Nothing so pleasant as that. It was... <sighs> Can't say. It hasn't got a name. What waited in the darkness outside the door is unnameable. But it was its voice that you'd heard. That hollow answer from the plug hole. Je suis le ténèbre. Ugh, intolerable. Yes, and if you keep stopping suddenly to wheel around and look behind you, if you insist on holding your breath to listen for the tread of something awful beneath Parata's humming heartbeat, well, you'll invite it back again, won't you? Buck up. Quite. Yes, anyhow, it buggered off eventually. Actually, what saved your ramshackle sanity was a strengthening dose of distraction in the form of some amateur doctoring. Good old Sir Reggie has thoughtfully stashed a full first aid kit in the cupboard under the sink. Not just one of those little white lunch boxes with plasters and aspirin in, a big hard shell case that folds out into a young surgical supply shop. You plugged the gushers with a styptic pencil, then moved in with the saline irrigation and anesthetic spray. Then, taking care not to look too closely at those private bits of your hand that are meant to be tucked modestly away, you applied a liberal dollop of antiseptic goo and used butterfly strips to close up the lot. Bish bash bosh. Sterile gauze and a few turns of elastic tape. Sorted. You didn't hear it go, but at some point the horror in the darkness must have got bored and wandered away. Nevertheless, you conscripted the little waterproof torch from the first aid kit. It protected you all the way to the bedroom lamp. It stood guard among the shattered glass on the nightstand as you dressed in a tearing hurry. Then it took turns leading the charge and guarding your rear as you grabbed your satchel and dove out into the waning, raining Aldergate night. <sighs> now, why did you do that, do you suppose? Uh, what's the point in asking for reasons? Reason had nothing to do with it. You had to get out of the manse, and out you got. And then you had to keep going. Sweet mercy, you thought you'd done with bad dreams for the evening. What the twist were they doing out there, anyhow? <sighs> Perhaps they're to blame for your nightmare. Perhaps sleeping Adrian could hear them carrying on down on the pent. No, no, you could barely hear them even when you opened the front door. They were uncannily quiet. No noise but the heaving, shuffling sounds of hundreds of students, just standing, watching, the rain spattering down all the while. Perhaps you 
felt them out there, on some deep subconscious level that fiddled with your settings. What were they doing? All those students, watching the performance, watching the masks, and zero pitch-black thirty in the cold November rain. Hmm, you couldn't see. You couldn't watch. Spotlights, blinding, center stage. You couldn't look. Couldn't look at anything. Didn't want to see them, and didn't want them seeing you. So, you slunk off down Halley Alley and left the whole mess behind. You never meant to come here. Here to Parata, that is. But as you trudged, a roar rose up behind you. Hundreds and hundreds of voices suddenly raised into a blood-curdling sort of whoop. And you ran. Bah! You must have had some idea of going to your office, but by the time you'd made it halfway across University Place, you'd recovered enough self-control to realize that you'd rather be torn to bits by a howling mob than run into Baz in that condition. And 5 a.m. is squarely working hours in Bazville. And anyhow, suppose you got lost again. So you splashed on past Central Admin, and, well, there was Parata. You leaned into the final hundred yards of your dash just to get her between you and the rain. And then, well, then it was just you and the tall king. No clouds in his purple sky, only the ivory moon, gibbous and serene, and the cosmic wash of celestial pinpricks in that softly glowing firmament. <sighs> You could have lain down right there, in the rosy afterglow of your sprint, to the soft pulsing of the heartbeat in your hand. You could have curled up at the tall king's feet and drifted off till they found your little frozen corpse the next day. <laughs> you could have done, but the yawning gateway to the playhouse was looking at you funny. The gallery's doors are in its three titanic legs, and the little green LED next to the biometric touch panel beckoned. So, no harm in trying, eh? Roll of the old thumbprint, and, well, shush, and come on in. In you went, into the big round lift, and thence right up Parata's skirt, into the heart of art. Hmm... Not exactly your ballywick, eh, self? An alien world. You're no artist, no critic. You're a detective now. <sighs> Apparently. That is to say, dash it all, somebody's got to be. It's absurd how little the police have managed so far with Sammy's case. No killer, nor any suspect worth mentioning. According to Standish, not only has there been no weapon found, they've made no definitive declaration about what exactly the weapon could have been, even. Hmm. The real sabo in the machinery seems to be that they haven't yet worked out where she was actually killed. Not at last quad, obviously. Possibly at her home, but, well, 
They won't know that until they figure out where it was she was living. Ugh. That's the thing about Aldergate. If you're not living in college, it's essentially potluck. She might have rented a place in Brindlon Fair, or even down in Little Quellings, but if so, they haven't found out where. You'd doubt it, anyhow. It wouldn't be Sammy's style to doss with the townies. Ten to one, she bribed or bullied herself some cushy corner in the student hive, like back in the old days. It'll come out eventually. Inquiries continue. One thing they are pretty confident about. When they do find the scene of the crime, they'll know it. Standish was tactful with his words, but it seems that Sammy's murder was probably not the neat and tidy sort. Per Mr. Chief Constable, the limbs were severed prior to the victim's decease. Exsanguination would have been rapid, resulting in unconsciousness within thirty seconds and death a few minutes later. There was very little blood present on the limbs or the bag in which they were found, but we can assume that the scene of the amputation... Gesture. No doubt he expected you to fill in the blank with whatever the dry technical term is for quite a literal bloody mess. You know, there's another mini-mystery there. Not an urgent one, and it ought to be easily solved, but you're curious to know, who is this Standish? That is to say, well, who is he? You were generally a good little boy during your first stint at Aldergate, but you did have a passing acquaintanceship with the chief constable. Back then it was a fellow named Gimble, tubby, amiable old chap with bristles in his ears. Can't very well picture old Gimble talking about exsanguination. His professional repertoire consisted mostly of, There now, that'll do, and Put it away, lad, don't want it catching cold. And that was about right, really. When there aren't murderers running amok, and generally there aren't, so far as you're aware, the job of Chief Constable of Aldergate is more ceremonial than cerebral. Standish seems for all the world like a serious, educated, motivated, competent professional. What's he doing here? Well... If the job hasn't yet driven him round the bend, you'll be doing your level best to nudge him along. You can't think about the murder itself. Not yet. Not properly. Twist, you're still calling it the murder. Not as personal as a tax audit. The idea of somebody actually having the guts to do something like that to Sammy. It hasn't quite hit home with you yet. No. You're stuck gnawing away at the leg question. Yes, looked at squarely, it's an inversion of the old locked room puzzle. Not how did the murderer get in, but how did the body get out? Aldergate sleeps even less than you do, and while Last Quad is surely less populous of a winter's midnight than it was yesterday afternoon, it's still an awfully risky spot to go dumping evidence. 
You simply can't fathom how the murderer could have hoped to plant Sammy's legs in last quad without running a serious and uncontrollable risk of getting spotted. And yet, consider how masterfully the rest of the crime appears to have been concealed. It seems unfathomable that the killer would have gone to so much trouble, and then gambled everything by strewing limbs about for no apparent reason. Ah, yes. No apparent reason. Motive, motive, who's got a motive? Both Standish and the CID are declining comment, but perhaps you can do better. Not that anybody's expecting you to get involved in the investigation. As a matter of fact, they're probably expecting you to keep out of the affair entirely. Which is a dashed shame, because that isn't what's going to happen. <laughs> and why shouldn't you lend a hand, anyhow? You're uniquely qualified, sort of. You have that unbridled curiosity that is so important in these matters. You're resourceful, and occasionally observant, and you're not afraid to bend the rules to do what's got to be done. What else could one ask for in a detective? Hmm. Besides relevant experience, necessary training, and some semblance of legitimate authority, you mean? Oh, hush. And actually, as far as that last is concerned, you may be on disturbingly firm ground. Standish sketched out the basics for you. Under English common law, the Aldergate University Constabulary is recognized as a territorial police force, with all the powers pertaining thereto. You're pretty sure he told you that to reassure you that, yes, he is actually a proper policeman. According to the Lex Aldegatiensis, however, at least as reported by Baz, the prerogative of appointing officers to the AUC is yours and yours alone. What's to stop you appointing yourself, eh? Start yourself off as a copper on the beat. Then, if you like the cut of your jib, you can promote yourself up through the ranks. Who knows? Someday you might even be Deputy Chief Constable. But you'd best watch yourself, self. Just because you've got friends in the Vice-Chancellor's office doesn't mean you can play fast and loose. If you step out of line, you'll have you sharpening pencils so fast it'll make your head spin. <sighs> As if it weren't spinning enough already. What is it that's behind you? You can feel it. You can't hear it, but... <sighs> uh, and you can't see it either, but it's there. Who is the second one just behind your shoulder? When you count, it's only you, but when you look ahead... You'll drive yourself peculiar, you know, arguing with yourself like this. Perhaps you ought to trot along to the keys. A fire and some company wouldn't be the worst thing for you. But, no, probably just as well that the new vice-chancellor avoids staggering into pubs in the small hours, bloody and rumpled and with a bad case of the willies. You've never had the willies before. 
not that you can recall. They're incredibly unpleasant. It's all that awful dream's fault. Ah, but what's to blame for the dream? Well then, Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream, burning and drowning and one muffled scream. Our heroes had a rough night of it, and it's not over yet. Which will break first, the dawn or the new vice-chancellor's sanity? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealtergatepapers.com. Find the Altergate Papers on iTunes as well, and spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.